Amen. Praise the Lord. God is good. This morning, our title of our lesson is When Enough is Enough. Of course, we're going to be talking about our family theme is fighting for the faith. Our objective is that we would learn to further the faith by pursuing godliness and generosity rather than making riches the pursuit of our life. We'll be in chapter 6 of Timothy today, 1 Timothy. Our text is verses 3 through 21. And we've got two key truths this morning. Number one, we are to be content with godliness and guard against greed. Now, we, let me ask a question. Is that easy to do? No, but we need to do that. Our second key truth is we are to be generous, trusting in God rather than in riches. Two key truths. Things we should know, and I hope you have your thinking cap on this morning. We are going to try to review in order, okay, the first 22 books of the New Testament. Now, I must confess, I cheated this morning a little bit. Uh, I can name them in order, but I don't know where 22 fell. So we're going to start with Matthew, and we're going to end up with Second Peter. All right, that's 22 books. I said Matthew, number one. Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, okay, Philippians, okay, don't you like them first and second ones? You get to one, you get to, all right, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, then what? Okay, Timothy? What do you say? Titus? Philemon, okay. Hebrews? Okay. First, second Peter, 22, okay. So, interesting, just kind of... Uh, Rhonda, did you... Uh, of course, you, you helped the kids... Yeah, you you got it down. Now Pam said when she was in, I guess, Bible school or vacation about years ago as a kid, they kind of made a little song up where they did the the Bible, uh, Bible uh, books of the Bible in that order. So anyway, that's twenty two books there. So today's lesson, again, the Apostle Paul is the author of the letter, writing to a young preacher named Timothy, probably around A.D. sixty two to sixty four. <coughs> it's interesting <coughs> in this last chapter of this letter, and by the way. Uh, I realize it wasn't a chapter when, when he wrote it, but it is, we're in the last chapter of today of 1 Timothy. Uh, Paul is uh, telling Timothy what he needs to do is to strive not uh, to make sure the, the faith is being furthered, it's being enhanced, if you will. And he said the, re, the way you do that is to teach believers to avoid false teaching and to avoid greed. But not only a negative thing, but a positive thing. They need to pursue godliness, generosity, as well as contentment. Okay, we got. A, I think we got something on the on the overhead board. Content. What do you think? Of, what does that mean? To be content. Say what? Okay, satisfied. I like that. Any other thought on that? Oh, happy for what you got. Yeah. Is that hard? Is that always easy to do? No. Okay. You know how many know that uh, the advertising people don't want to be satisfied with what you got. 
Because everything is always what? New and what? And improved, all right? So, uh, yeah, there you go. There you go, yeah. So my, my next question is, why do you think, well, let me, let me begin with this question. For the most part, do you think most people in our world are content? No. Why do you say that, Dan? They're always wanting more. And no matter what they try, whatever they're looking for, and any kind of satisfaction, that was one word that came up a moment ago, being satisfied, they are never really satisfied. And, you know, it's interesting. Just look at people's faces. And you can tell there's an emptiness there. And they haven't learned to be content. And so today, hopefully, we're going to see how we can find contentment in Christ. Now, I'm, I'm hoping I'm preaching to the choir today. Because I hope that you've come to the point in your life that you are content with what God has given you and satisfied and what God has given us. Now, there were certainly a lot of characteristics that Paul could have addressed when it comes to false teachers. In fact, he spends a lot of this letter uh, talking to Timothy about these false teachers. And uh, in this particular part of that letter, Paul is condemning them for their greed. So not not only were they caught up in false doctrines, they also had a desire for material gain that was not spiritual, and it was not healthy. So a question I have this morning is, is that happening today? Yes, we see it everywhere, you know, all the time. So Paul says to Timothy, what I want you to do, don't give up, don't throw your hands and quit, but continue to teach sound doctrine. But also, watch out for these false teachers. Uh, Watch out uh, because their teaching uh, is detrimental. Watch out for their bad teaching and watch out for their greed. We're going to pick it up in verse 3 of chapter 6 of 1 Timothy. Our first key truth is this. Believers are content with godliness and guard against greed. Let's read verses 3 through 16. Thank you. 
Amen. Interesting. Uh, Paul is without a doubt addressing false teachers here. And he begins in verse 3, if any man teach otherwise. And in the first few verses of this particular chapter, he's addressing uh, the issue of slavery and how uh, slaves ought to obey their masters even if they are Christians. Uh, but the bottom line is, Paul is addressing any good, clear teaching of Scripture. And so he understands that there are false teachers. And by the way, how long have there been false teachers? Yeah, forever. And it continues even today. And that's why we need to understand clear, the clarity of God's Word. And Paul talks about these false teachers. And he, he, he says, Timothy, here's some signs you can look for to identify them. Uh, not only their false teaching, but going by their uh, personal characteristics. And so he, he gives actually three uh, specific issues here. Number one, uh, Paul says they were guilty of teaching a different and a false gospel. Now think about that, a different and a false gospel. So my question is, how many gospels are there? Just one. That, yeah, the one true gospel, right. Now there may be some false ones out there, but it's only one true gospel. Now Paul's not addressing a particular uh, specific teaching here, but we know this has been going on since Jesus Christ came into our world, and certainly even before that. But another thing he talked about, watch for teachings that don't agree with the teaching Jesus did. Now, folks, that's so important. Christ is certainly the model we have and the standard we have for what true teaching really ought to be all about. So the bottom line is this. If it contradicts the teaching of Jesus, if it contradicts the teaching of Scripture, it is false doctrine. And Paul said, Timothy, watch out for that. Reject that kind of teaching. And the third thing that Paul warned Timothy about, uh, if they refuse to submit to teaching that leads to godliness, Paul says avoid their teaching, avoid those kind of people. Now remember, Scripture always promotes godly living. Always. And you can't get away from that. Now, one of the problems of the many problems these false teachers had, they were arrogant and they were very conceited. Uh, and they certainly, Paul said, they had a lack of understanding of the scripture. Now, folks, I can't emphasize enough this morning how important God's word is. Everything we believe, everything we teach needs to be based on sound doctrine from the word of God. Now, Paul mentions some things here. Whatever reason, these false teachers were obsessed with controversy and dissension. All they were concerned about <coughs> was causing division, splitting hairs. Now, can that happen today? Does it happen? Sure it does. And Paul said, Timothy, watch out for this. Now, it's interesting now, there's nothing wrong with having, having healthy discussions. Uh, there's nothing wrong with discussing different views on 
uh, interpretation of Scripture. But the bottom line is, if that's the main part of your walk with God, you're not living a healthy spiritual life. It's only going to drag you down. And, and Paul said, what happened, what's going on between these false teachers? They were caught up with envy. Uh, there was strife. There was certainly not uh, a good relationship, if you will, going on. A lot of malicious talk going on uh, toward others. Uh, they became suspicious, if you will. And they were always causing friction among other believers. Now, I need to ask a question here. Do you think God would be pleased with that? No, no way. God is certainly not pleased with that. Now, here's the problem, folks. All of these things Paul is talking about is really just a a natural byproduct of minds that simply don't understand the truth. We must never forget that the truths in the God's Word is they are spiritually discerned. The Spirit of God has to make them real and alive in our life. Now, again, Paul is talking about specific false teachers here. And, and Paul says their primary goal uh, was uh, for their own personal gain. They were in love with themselves. Uh, they were full of themselves, if you will. And they wanted to advance their own cause and do it for material gain. Now, again, is a false teacher going to get up and say, hey, I'm a false teacher? No, they're not going to do that. They're going to disguise that uh, as best they can anyway. So Paul says, Tim, you need to watch out for false teachers in the body of Christ. Now, it, it, this thing was going on, this, this attitude among false teachers was going on in the day of Paul. It's going on today in our world, and it's something that needs to be addressed because God's Word addresses that. And so Paul, without a doubt, uh, begins to make some observation about what's going on in the church, about what was right, what was wrong with their attitudes uh, toward material things. Now... Paul was talking about godly teaching. Teaching that leads to godliness. Now, these false teachers had it backwards. They were teaching and living in such a way where they believed that gain came first and then godliness comes second. What does God say? What do you say, Wayne? No. Which comes first? Godliness has to come first. It must come first in our lives. Now, it's, we mentioned a moment ago, most people in our world are not content. And may I say to you, the reason is, God never intended man to find contentment in material things. Isn't that true? Never. Now, how many would say today... That God has blessed you. Amen. And most of us have more than we ever dreamed we'd ever have. And, you know, and I, I would not, not everybody in the world can say that, but for the most part here in America, we can say that. In fact, I read some months ago, if you have any change at all in your pocket, you're wealthier than most people in the world are. They don't even have that, you know. Uh, so we've been blessed. 
But we have to understand we've got to have the right attitude about those kind of things in our life. Now, another thing, and I know you've heard on television, some, not all, but some of these health and wealth preachers, but how many know that godliness does not guarantee wealth? Materially, I mean. Isn't that true? Now, it does guarantee spiritual wealth, but it doesn't guarantee that we will have a financial gain in our lives. Now, we talked about that word content a moment ago in our introduction, and that we're talking about the word contentment, and without a doubt, it is an inner peace, I think, that comes with being satisfied of who we are and what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have that kind of contentment. And you know the world we live in is, is, is always in an uproar and turmoil. We can look at our world, and even when it's in, in disarray as it is today, we can have that contentment because it comes from knowing Jesus Christ as our Savior. It gives us peace, and no matter what happens around us, it keeps us walking hand in hand with God, knowing that if we have Christ, we have all that we need, and we can be content with that. Now, by the way, we were in Philippians a few weeks ago, and Paul had written to the church at Philippi and said, I've learned to be content whatever state I'm in. I've learned to be abased or abound either way. I've learned how to do that. So contentment is without a doubt a learned process. So Paul says, I've learned to live content with whatever God gives me in my life. Now, in verse 7, Paul gives us a lesson. Well, my question is, what did we come into this world with? Nothing. What are we going to leave with? Not a thing. In fact, isn't that what Job said? Back in Job chapter 1? Naked I came, naked I'll leave in this world, okay? We didn't come with anything. We're going to leave just that way. So Paul said in verse 8, As a child of God, the fact that we have food and clothing enough, that ought to be enough to be content. God has truly been good to us. Now, also understand... <clears throat> Paul is going to speak to the rich in this text in this text as well. But he's not just speaking to the rich, he's speaking to those who want to be rich. Isn't that true? Those who have a desire, a wrong attitude, if you will, toward wealth. Those that have a burning, enslaving desire to gain wealth in this world. And Paul said whenever that happens in your life, <clears throat> Whenever that is true in your life, it's going to result in all kinds of wickedness for those who have that kind of desire to be rich. In fact, Paul said it's so bad, it's going to cause some people to wander away from the faith. Now remember, does the Bible say that money is the root of all evil? No. Ah, the love of money, right? The love of money is the root 
of all evil. And Paul said, watch out. That strong desire is a danger, not only as a temptation, but Paul said it can be a trap. It can be a trap that's going to even grow even more unhealthy desires in your life. And if you allow it to continue, it's going to ruin your life. So Paul says to you and I, who are children of God, we have to focus on godly living. And we can't miss that. We've got to be content with what God supplies for us. Now, by the way, I've got to tell you, that's easy, easy for me to say. But I think, including myself, we all struggle with that sometimes. With the idea of wanting more than what God has given us. And so we, we can never forget. We must never forget that spiritual gain is found when we are pursuing godliness in our lives rather than riches or possession. Now, also understand, this is a battle for all of us. And guess who's behind this battle? Satan is. It's part of the spiritual warfare. He wants to drag us down. He wants to hinder our walk with God any way he can. And then in verse 10, we talked about it wasn't money that's bad. It's the love of money that is the root of every kind of evil. And Paul is talking about having a strong desire, a covetous attitude toward Money. And Paul said it's caused a lot of people to be pierced through with many, many sorrows. Now, would you agree that's true? Have you heard stories of people who won the lottery? What happened? Yeah. Exactly. Uh, lose their family, whatever it might be. And folks, I want to tell you, there is nothing in this world worth Losing our walk with God over. Nothing worth worth walking away from God to pursue anything else unless we're pursuing godliness. That will draw us more and more and more every day closer to Him. And what 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 people don't realize is there's so much more of things of higher value to pursue rather than wealth. Much, much more. And nothing more valuable than our pursuit of walking with God. God. That's interesting. Uh, I like what Paul says in verse 11. Uh, Paul says we are to flee those kind of attitudes. What's that word flee mean? Say what? Why, Cheryl? Yeah. Get out of Dodge quick. Could you stick around too long? What's going to happen? It's going to entangle you. So Paul says flee it. Get rid of those selfish attitudes he's already talked about. But he also says, while we're running from those things, we are to pursue godly virtues that will enhance our walk with God. And Paul includes some things like godliness, uh, conduct, our faith, our faithfulness, if you will, sacrificial love that seeks to forgive, to, to give and not, and not just gain things, 
meetings, all those things that go on. Paul says, flee those kind of selfish attitudes, but pursue things that are holy, things that will honor God in our life. So we got to flee those evil things and with all of our heart pursue and follow the right things. And Paul says to lay hold of your salvation. Is God good or what? Amen. And we know he provided for us. And we know that godliness with contentment is truly great gain. And that's what Paul is trying to express in this letter to this young preacher. In verse 12, he says to Timothy, Timothy, I want you to fight the good fight of faith. Now, what is that? The fact that Paul says to Timothy, I want you to fight the good fight of faith. And by the way, that applies to every believer, I believe. But what does that indicate? What does that indicate? That's a struggle going on. And we have to understand there's a fight going on. And we've got to fight that good fight of faith. And the original language really means to keep on fighting. Keep on straining. Give every effort you have, if you will, to do the best you can to promote your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can't miss that. Now remember, we're not talking about fighting among ourselves, all right? We're not talking about fighting with unbelievers here. We're talking about uh, fighting this faith that we have, the right attitudes we have, making sure we're pursuing that with all of our hearts. But it's interesting, these false teachers were trying to encourage, if you will, bickering and fighting among the church believers. And Paul said, that's not what we're talking about here. Paul says the fight that we are in is not with each other. The fight we are in is over spiritual darkness. Because Satan is always about to destroy and hinder our walk with God. Now, we're not going to be in 2 Timothy. By the way, before I forget it, Jordan, you'll love this. Next week, Elisha. In 2 Kings, all right? And we were talking the other night how much we like Elijah and Elisha. But uh, in, in 2 Timothy, Paul said, look... Timothy, I want you to be kind and gentle with all people, even toward when you deal with unbelievers. So that's important in our lives because our battle is not with that person, if they're, even if they're unbelievers. Our battle is with Satan. He's the one out to destroy our walk with God. So Paul says, Timothy, instead of pursuing these Endless bickering and um, trifle things that these false teachers are promoting. Timothy, Timothy, Paul said, what you need to be is concerned of laying hold of the eternal life you profess. Don't give up. Now, he already had it. He's already been born again. That was confirmed at his conversion. But Paul says... Keep fighting that faith. In fact, verse 13 is probably the strongest warning Paul gives uh, to Timothy in this letter. And uh, he referenced the crucifixion of Christ. 
And here's the whole point. And let me begin by asking a question. As we've looked at the book of the letter that Paul wrote to Timothy and what we know about Timothy and the church in that day, do you think it was easy for Timothy to pastor that church at Ephesus? Do you think he had any opposition? Do you think Satan was fighting against him? We know he was. We know it wasn't easy. We know it was a struggle. We know that because of his age that there were times he felt intimidated. And it's interesting. Paul said, Timothy, don't give up. Keep fighting the good fight of faith. And then he gave an example of Jesus Christ. Now, we're not going to take time to look at the verses. You'll see them in Matthew. You'll see them in John's Gospel. When Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate. And he was being questioned. Who are you? Are you, are you the king of the Jews? Are you who they say you are? Now, keep in mind, from a worldly standpoint, what did Pilate have the power to do to Jesus? You what? Yeah. And Paul says, Timothy? I know things are not good. I know you're experiencing opposition, but understand, your example is Jesus Christ. Because even when he stood before Pilate, and Pilate questioned him about what people were saying about him, Jesus never denied that. He continued to claim to be who he said he was. Now, again, we know that Pilate really wasn't in charge. He thought he was, right? But he, from the world standpoint of point of view, he could have either had him killed or let him go. <laughs> In fact, he even made that statement. Don't you realize who you're talking to? I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> Jesus said, hey, you would have no power at all if my father didn't give it to you. But the fact of the matter is, our Lord didn't back down. He didn't try to skirt the issue to try to save his life. He simply maintained the truth of the gospel he came to live and to preach. And Paul said, Timothy, I want you to remember him as an example. Don't be concerned about those who are attacking you. But your concern ought to be the eternal life that you have experienced and that you're called by God to preach to other people. Your concern is to lay hold upon that. And as you're doing that, as you're fighting this good fight of faith, Timothy, keep in mind the testimony that Jesus Christ maintained even up to his death on the cross. So keep that commandment, Timothy, without spot, without wrinkle, until Jesus Christ comes again. Keep preaching the gospel. Keep sharing the goodness of Christ. Don't let these false teachers interfere with that. Don't let people try to convince you we need to pursue anything else, including money, instead of Christ. Paul said, don't fall for that deception. It is of uh, the devil. Bottom line is, Timothy, concern yourself that when Christ comes, you are found blameless. What a testimony. What a challenge for our 
life. God is truly good to us. And then in verses 15 and 16, uh, Dan, I couldn't help as you read that. What, what a doxology. What a doxology. So inspiring to God, giving God praise and worship. And now we're not for sure about this. A lot of scholars believe uh, it may have been uh, a well-known expression that was used in that time. It may have been uh, a hymn from which Paul was quoting. But the bottom line is this. Paul says, Timothy, God is the cause and effect of all things. He is the object of all things. God is the ultimate ruler of the universe, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the eternal one. And by the way, folks, when these become real to us, we cannot help but bow our hearts and worship before God. He deserves so much. Let's apply it. Pursue godliness and be content with what God provides. So my question is, how do we pursue godliness? How do we do it practically? Amen. Focus on that. Knowing God. Walking with God. By the way, Wayne, why do we need to stand in the Word to do that? How do we know God? Through the Word. How do we know what God wants us to do? Through the Word. We've got to stay in the world. So my next question is then, Paul talking about riches, a material gain, why don't they satisfy, truly? Why don't they satisfy? Absolutely. You know, I, I, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I know I do sometimes. I'm still pranking my dad. And, uh, you know, he's not a multimillionaire, but he's well off. He said more than he ever dreamed of ever having. But you know what? His life is empty. So what he thought he would gain to help contentment hasn't helped him. And I, I keep telling him every chance I get, because you're looking for contentment in all the wrong places. We only find that in the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so the number one key truth we are to be content with godliness and guard against greed. Our second key truth, we're to be generous. Trusting in God rather than riches. Now, before we read this, I want somebody to volunteer in a moment. Verse 17 through 21. Did you know, if you call the Cancer Foundation, the Heart Foundation, the Diabetes Foundation, any of them, do you realize when it comes to the uh, demographics of people who give, you know who give the most of those organizations? Christian people. You think there's a coincidence there? I don't, okay? Because as, as believers, we are to be generous. Okay, let's read verses 17 through 21, 1 Timothy 6. Jordan, I need to ask you a question. 
Does Paul say that being rich is sinful? No. Make sure we understand that, okay? But he does give a warning to rich people. And what is that warning Paul gives to them? Not to be what? To be what? What does that mean? Yeah. Arrogant. Can that happen? It surely can. And what would cause that to happen, by the way? Thinking what? You're better than everybody else. Got everything I need. You know, I pull myself up my own bootstrap, right? So they become high-minded. Now remember, he did warn those who had almost a covetous idea about pursuing wealth. He warned that. But he said, I want you to understand something. It doesn't mean that if you're rich, you're out of God's will. But you have to be careful. Because what Satan wants you to do, he wants you to make those riches your God. Isn't that true? That he wants you to make those riches as something you're depending on. Is that, is that what God wants? No. Not at all. So Paul says, look, Timothy, warn those who are rich not to become conceited, not to, uh, and of course he's talking about those who are rich by the world standard, but make sure you continue, continue to uh, display humility in your life in the church. So don't be arrogant. Don't go around like you deserve what you got. Does anybody deserve it? No. So Paul warns about that. Don't set your desires and your hope on your money. It's got to be on God. <laughs> and by the way, how many, have, how many in our world have set their hope on money and been disappointed? Yeah. How many have set their security on money and been, been disappointed? We have to place our hope in God. So Paul said, Timothy, warn those wealthy believers not to be high-minded, not to be arrogant, but also let them know they can use their money to further the gospel and the kingdom of God here on this earth. Make sure that they are generous with their money, giving to the Lord's work. So understand, Timothy, it's not a sin to be wealthy, but warn them to be careful how they use their wealth. Now, here's the thing. The great news is, It's not wrong to have money, to be wealthy, but it is wrong if your money has you. It is wrong if your money becomes the God of your life. It is wrong if you place your hope and your security on money. Paul said, Timothy, warn them not to do that. Now, by the way, I I didn't realize this. Jason, you may have, because I know you've done some study on this before. I read, and I'm taking somebody's word for it, that Jesus talked about the subject of money. We all know that, right? But I read those who tabulate statistics said he spoke five times more about money than he did anything else he spoke about. What does that tell us? Pretty important. Of course, my favorite passage is Matthew chapter 6. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. (laughs) 
You know what, folks? I wonder sometimes, deep down inside, do I really believe that? Because if I really believe that, what would I do? I seek his righteousness first. Now, he also talked about in the previous part of that chapter, you can't serve God and mammon or money. Uh, in fact, talks about worry. Anybody ever worry? What does worry ever do? Do what? <laughs> Makes me tired. But it doesn't change a thing. Seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In Matthew, uh, I mentioned Matthew 6, very familiar passage. In the Gospel of Mark, one of the places he gives the parable of the soils. And he mentions that a lot of people are drawn away by the deceitful of riches. Isn't that true? In Matthew 19, uh, Jesus said, it would be easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to be saved. Do you remember what the disciples asked, the next question they asked right away? Remember what it was? Who then can be saved. They had the wrong attitude. They thought wealth meant you were already, you know, you were being blessed by God, but not so. Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. Now, by the way, uh, for those who try to explain that away, Jesus was not talking about what later became known in a corral area, like a, in a canyon area, a small entrance where you had to stoop down. And for the camel to get through there. That was then called the eye of the needle. But when Jesus wrote these words, that was not known in that world for the camel. He was talking about a literal needle. Okay? But the reason is, not because being wealthy is sinful, because most wealthy people trust in what? Say it again, Cheryl. In their money. And that's why it's hard for them to enter the kingdom of heaven. In Luke chapter 12, verse 15, the Bible warns us to guard our heart against covetousness. Proverbs, Solomon addresses the issue as well. And uh, he says, having a little, having a little with the fear of the Lord is better than having great treasure. So God gives us plenty of Ammunition, a great principle that is very clear that we should live a life of contentment by trusting what God has provided for us. And folks, that is the key of godliness and contentment. So Paul says to Timothy and all believe in all of it, he says, continue to watch out. Continue to guard from these false teachers and these false teaching they are doing among the believers. Folks, we are privileged 
beyond measure to have riches that will last for eternity. Let's stand together. Next week, 2 Kings chapter 2. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness to us, Lord. And thank you for the contentment you have brought into my life. And I ask it all and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless each.